Alright everyone, hello and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host. Uh, thank you all very much for being here. My usual spiel, please interact with the product. <laughs> whether, that's a, whether that's a like or a thumbs up or whatnot for an individual episode or an overall rating... Uh, this will all ch- uh, this will all change a little bit depending on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, if you could write us a review or you, know, you leave a comment, again, some of this is depending on the individual episodes or the overall show, uh, however they have that rating system set up. And if you could please share. Let your friends know, let your enemies know, let a couple of strangers know. That should cover just about everybody. Whatever your social media platform of choice is, if you happen to have one, please share us on that. If you happen to know people in person and get together, then tell them about us if you think they'd be interested. That all helps a tremendous amount. Thank you in advance for all of your support. All right, we have stuff to get through tonight. Uh, a fair number of individual bits, but I don't think anything that's going to take up too much time. Uh, first of all, last night, UFC on ESPN 25 was an event. Had some good stuff in there. Uh, not really surprised we mentioned that last week. This wasn't the sexiest card on paper, but there was some pretty solid matchmaking uh, that had gone into this. Again, there were a few duds, but, you know, you're always going to get some of those. Uh, let's see, we had a bunch of other... This was a big weekend for combat sports, so I want to touch on a few other uh, stuff, a few other combat sports-related things from around the world. So I, I've got a few things to touch on, but we'll, we'll get through some of that stuff. Let's see, next week, UFC on ESPN plus 48. The UFC continues to just keep the gears moving. But the week after is UFC 264? Yeah, 264, the Poirier and McGregor trilogy. So, yeah, we're just we're kind of treading water until that point, <laughs> such as it is. Then, yeah, again, just a few other pieces of news. Some fights, some fights falling apart, and we'll see if anything crazy happens. While we're recording the show, that has happened on occasion. All right. So, thank you all very much again. Please have interacted with the product at some point by now, and let's move on to the show. All right. Last night, UFC on ESPN 25, your main event. The Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung defeats Dan Ige via unanimous decision. 148-47 and 249-46s. Uh... I think what screwed me up about this is, is the individual scorecards, believe it or not. Um, every one of these judges gave Ige the first, and I believe they all gave Jung the fourth, and I was reversed on that. And I think most people were. Uh, really good performance out of, out of the zombie. He stayed measured, composed, mixed up his offense, mixed in takedowns. Uh, Ige is a game fighter. He was in this fight, but there's a couple of things that I think messed him up. First of all, Jung is... He's not stuck in the mud, but he's not a very movement-heavy fighter. Uh, This has actually thrown off a few of his opponents. Uh, Frankie Edgar struggled a little bit with that because Edgar likes to move a whole lot. But that's only really useful if his opponent is either completely stuck in the mud or trying to move with him. And Jung struck a nice balance between those when he fought Frankie and you know, starched him. 
A uh, little bit of that same thing here. Ige doing a lot of movement early, but Jung slowed things down, stayed measured, and Ige didn't really have a good read on how to respond to that. Jung landed some nasty calf kicks early. I was surprised he got away from those the longer it went on. But he mixed in his takedowns, he landed good punches. He, I, this is not to undersell Ige. Ige could never get his jab going. Again, the leg kicks early really dissuaded him from that, and that's a big part of his game. He found success in places. He hit some. He got a couple of really nice combinations. But he was just a little bit of a step behind, and every time he would overcommit, uh, especially in the striking, when he overcommitted, Jung would get him down. Now, Ige rallied in rounds four and five. I thought he won the fourth. And the fifth, uh, he was doing well until he got... He gave up his back for just too long a period of time at the end of that. There's a real... There's a real oddity amongst the... Uh, the way people try to understand some of the new scoring criteria. A takedown that doesn't lead to anything doesn't score very much. But a takedown without proper control is, again, barely much of anything. A takedown into full guard that leads to nothing is barely anything. Guys, back mount is the most dominant position you can have. If you get back mount for a prolonged period of time, that's, that position scores by virtue of existing. You should... You shouldn't have to nearly finish someone from back mount to justify winning a round for having it. Like, if, if you're on top in full guard, and you don't do anything, you can be outstruck and you can be outworked from the bottom. Half guard, not as much, both because of the position and because the person on top is then at a positional advantage. Back mount is, again, it's the most dominant position you can get. I understand that we're trying to move away from the, the lay and pray tactics... But, guys, somebody has your back for, you know, two minutes, give or take. That's a severe deficit on the scoring criteria. Even if they don't do a whole lot with it, it's just such a dominant position that it should matter that they got it. My two cents. That said, I, I don't disagree with anyone who might have given Ige the fifth. I just thought that what, uh, what Jung did uh, got it back. Uh, so late fight heroics from Ige, and I mean heroics, man. He was down pretty badly in those first three rounds. At least on my scorecard, again, every one sitting cage side apparently gave <laughs> gave Ige the first. Which, uh, again, just baffles me. Uh, that first round was competitive for the first three, three and a half minutes, and then... Jung got a takedown and actually did good work with it. I mean, the second round was a borderline 10-8, I think, in favor of Jung. So, Ige, he rallied, man, and you, good on him. He's got a lot of ability, but I, I'm i not quite sure what it is that he's missing. I don't know if it's a, an adaptability issue, if he's a little bit susceptible to leg kicks and people are keying into that. I don't know if he's just going to struggle. He's He's good everywhere. The problem is that when you're good everywhere, if someone's better than you in one area and good enough to stifle you in the other, they're going to beat you. That's kind of what he wound up fighting in Cater. Cater was better than him striking and good enough defensively grappling to stop 
Ige from having his way there, that it just w was never going to go his way. Little bit similar here, Jung, you know, good power, good striker. Ige might have had a slight edge technically, but the grappling went he skewed heavily in favor of Jung. As much tactically as ability-wise, Ige didn't ever really get after takedowns, and when he did, they stalled out on the fence. Uh, so, point being that a good, well-rounded skill set is important. But if you run into someone who's better than you in one area and can force the fight to be contested in that area, you're going to struggle. And I think that might be a little bit what he's running into. Uh, that said, you know, there's ways to there's ways to go about fixing this. The guy's got a motor. Uh, he's got power. He's still a very, very viable featherweight. Uh, I would like to see him, you know, see if he can kind of hammer out some of these, uh, iron out some of the details. But it was a good main event. Jung, uh, you know, got, got back on the horse after the Ortega loss. I'm not, I don't know where Jung fits in the title picture. Uh, we're, we're in such an odd spot right now with featherweight. Again, we're stuck waiting for this stupid reality show to end. Uh, I'm a little bit less peeved. I've railed against this a little bit, but there is an important caveat that needs to be addressed, and that was Volkanovski's bout with COVID. He said it was pretty nasty, so if he genuinely needs this extra time to recover, then, you know, I'm not going to be the jerk that gets on here and says, how dare you not fight for my entertainment at my convenience? You're already sacrificing your own health for the rest of your life, basically. You know, how dare a serious illness have compromised? Like, I'm not going to be that guy. If this was as much to let Volkanovski kind of recover from his, bout, his, his battle with COVID as anything else, uh, again, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But because that's my personal preference. I, uh, I, I've not watched a single episode of Tough. I will not watch a single episode of Tough. I could not possibly care less. I already have negative interest. I will actively avoid it. But if we're also just trying to give the guy time to recover, then what? I'm gonna be the I'm not gonna be the jerk who says your recovery from a serious illness should be shortened because I, it, it, for my convenience. I'm, I'm just not gonna be that guy. Uh, but it it does put everything in a bit of a holding pattern. Uh, we have some news on Max Holloway. We'll touch on briefly. Uh, 45 just a little bit log jammed at the moment is all. So I don't know. Um, I don't know where he fits in, but Jung is always good for a watchable fight, if nothing else, and he's a very good fighter. So, was a good fight. Not great, but was good. So, your co-main event, Sergei Spivak defeated Alexei Olenek via unanimous decision, 29-28s across the board. This fight sucked. Uh, Olenek, uh, he got the back in the set, in the first round. Um, couldn't quite... Went for the, the scarf hold, the neck crank, the chest compressor there. Uh, just couldn't couldn't quite finish it. I think his angle was a little bit off. Uh, but he got it again at the end of the second, which is around he lost. But he got pretty close at the end of the second. If there's, you know, five more seconds in that round, maybe. But uh, couldn't get it earlier, so. And, uh, just sloppy heavyweight crap. Uh not good. Your fight of the night, and I think deservedly so, Marlon Vera defeated Davey Grant for unanimous decision, 29-27, 29-28, and 30-26. Uh, 
I don't agree with giving De, uh, Vera the first round. I thought Grant had that round. But rounds two and three, Vera. 10-8 third for Vera, I seem to rec- uh, was, I think, but I scored it. Uh, this was a great fight. These two beat the crap out of each other. Grant early with some power hooks, uh, found some success. But Marlon Vera, we don't talk about this enough with him. That dude is durable. He has stood in there with some massive punchers. And he has, I don't think he's ever been finished by strikes. Double check that. Um, yeah, not not in the UFC. Not ever. Yeah, his losses, his total losses, there's a decision, another decision, decision, decision. Yeah, he's only lost via decision. And he stood in there with, dude, he has stood in there with John Lineker, uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade, Davey, the aforementioned Davey Grant, who he lost to in their first meeting back in 2015. Song Yadong up at Featherweight, Sean O'Malley and Jose Aldo. Like, those guys can crack, and nobody's put him down. That dude, in addition to being good, he's very good. That guy is durable. He took some pretty significant strikes from Grant, but walked through him, second round, got busier with the front kick, started landing elbows. He cut Davy Grant up. Uh, got Did some good work on the ground. Both these guys had some good work on the ground. Uh, this was good everywhere. It was a really good 15-minute fight, man. This this was absolutely worth your time to check out if you didn't. Uh, good win for Vera to bounce back. Because, uh, yeah, his last fight was the loss to Jose Aldo. Uh, good for him. Uh, Vera still a very viable bantamweight. Called out Dominic Cruz after the fight. Would be a great fight. I don't know that that's what we'll get next, but uh, if it is, would be a great fight. Uh, Grant, this was one of his first fights back after he had a long series of injuries, man. That he detailed, and he messed up his knee, then his ankle, then his neck. Uh, he, I mean, sorry, not not just this time. He came, uh, he's, he just dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, but he was coming off a three-fight winning streak. Uh, he, two of those finishes, I did, I don't recall scoring the Grigori Popov fight for him, but then he knocked out Martin Day and Jonathan Martinez, you, uh, you know, can't argue with a knockout. And those were clean knockouts, those weren't dubious stoppages. So, bit of a setback for him, but great fight. Uh, he's, he's not hurting for job security, at least, I wouldn't imagine. Uh, let's see. Featherweight, Sungwoo Choi TKO's Julian Erosa in 1 minute 37 seconds. Really nice finishing sequence from Choi has fast and very crisp hands. Uh, he had a beautiful left hook to basically end things here. Choi's going to be a problem at Featherweight, I think. He's still got some seasoning to go, but pay attention to that guy. Middleweight fight, Bruno Silva defeated Wellington Terman via knockout punches. 444 of the first from inside the guard. Um, the finishing sequence was really nice here. He's in full guard. Terman tries to use his right hand to underhook the leg. To tr- uh, he's, he thinks about going for an armbar, and that's part of the setup he chooses to use. He doesn't hit the armbar, and Silva just kind of sits on his hand, so it's trapped between his calf and his thigh. So Terman doesn't actually have his right hand to defend himself with on the ground, and that lets Silva just kind of lay in left hooks from... 
inside the guard and he puts him out with him. Uh, really nice finish from Silva. Really, that guy has some. He has serious ground and pound. Uh, ground and pound's a little bit of a lost art these days. He's good at it. He's hit some. He's hit some really nasty ground and pound finishes from the regional scene too. There was one actually. He was in full guard and stopped somebody with a body shot, which is not something you see a whole lot of. But he pulled it off. So, uh, pay attention. That guy's again. There, there might still be some seasoning that has to happen, or you know, uh, rising to the UFC level of opposition. But that's not a man to be trifled with. And kicking off the main card, Matt Brown knocked out Diego Lima, 302 of the second. Really nice punch from Matt Brown. Uh, these two had a pretty good fight, actually, for as long as it lasted. Lima was landing some good calf kicks uh, that were kind of troubling Brown a bit. Brown adjusted, uh, just landed a really nice right hand in the second and slept Lima. Lima face-planted with one punch, so... Uh, Good for Matt Brown, who gets it done for the 40 and over club. Uh, his first win in a while. He was on a two-fight skid, but nice win. You know, Matt Brown. Matt Brown's just a guy who you will all... He's very rarely, if ever, in a boring fight. You, and he's a really good TV fighter in that respect, and I don't mean that as an insult at all. See, as for the prelims, Nikolai Negromarianu defeated Alexa Kamer via split decision, 29-28. I was 29-28 Kamer, I seem to recall. Um, I think Negumarianu got a little bit more credit for just being the one moving forward in the third round than he should have had. But, again, I don't agree with it, but I, I'm not going to get on my ho on a soapbox about this one. There's a there's an argument for Negumarianu in the third, so... 29-28 for either man, I think, is an acceptable scorecard. Again, I I scored it for Kamer, but I'm yeah, I you can perfectly validly arrive at two to one for either guy. Uh, let's see, Virna Jandiroba defeated Kanado, uh, Kanako Murata via TKO. This is a doctor stoppage due to an arm injury between rounds two and three. Uh, Jandiroba got an armbar in the second. First. I think it was in the first round, actually. And then Murata fought out of it, uh, to her credit. Came out for the second round, and her left elbow was visibly, like, not where it was supposed to be. She fought through that round, uh, but between rounds, the doctor checked on it, and whatever the doctor felt and saw when examining it was enough for him to go, yeah, we're done. And given that... Given that Murata didn't use her left arm for almost anything in that second round, it was the right call. I mean, I give her credit for her heart not giving up, but if you've only got one arm, uh, and, and I don't mean one hand, I mean one arm, uh, you can't fight. So, right call. Uh, hopefully Murata's able to bounce back from this. She's got a lot of ability, but uh, especially in the gra her wrestling is very, very strong. Uh, just needs a little bit of seasoning. As for Janjiroba, she's she struggled a bit in the UFC, but she's very clearly a very, very good fighter. So I I imagine she'll be fighting someone ranked next, which is probably appropriate. Let's see, welterweight Chaos Williams defeated Matthew Semmelsberger via unanimous decision, 30-27 and then 2-29-28. Doing this live, I think I gave this to Semmelsberger, but rounds... Slightly based on rounds two and three being a little bit close. I'm pro I was probably wrong doing that live, just straight up. 
Williams just had a better output. And that that matters when nobody's able to... I mean, the first round was very clearly Williams. Just very, very clearly. But after that, you know, Semmelsberger had moments. He just was look, only ever throwing like one or two at a time. And Williams was always throwing more like three and four. And that just adds up as the rounds go on. So, uh, decent fight. Heavyweight fight. Josh Parisian defeated Roque Martinez via split decision. These were 29-28. This one I disagreed with. Uh, this one I disagree with a little bit f- more firmly, I think, than the other splits. Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it was a crappy heavyweight fight after the first round. The first round was all, almost all Roki Martinez. Putting pressure on, getting into the clinch, working Parisian over from there, but couldn't quite maintain the pace and the intensity. Parisian started fighting a little bit longer. Uh, Parisian had the second. And the third was, again, I disagree with this one, but I might be, mis- I might have confused how I felt about those two, the, those two fights with split. Neither fight was very good, and that's kind of leading into my them maybe getting flipped in my head here. But um, I, I thought Martinez won for whatever it's worth. I don't hate twenty nine twenty eight Parisian, but now that I think about it, but. I don't agree with it. Uh, let's see. Lightweight Rick Lem defeated Joaquim Silva. Or is he Joaquim? He's Joaquim Silva. Uh, via knockout. 37 seconds of the first round. Um, Silva just got a little bit over-anxious entering, uh, trying to close distance on an opposite stance fighter. And Glenn had him timed and crushed him with a left hand. Then just finished him off... Uh, Nice stuff from Glenn, who ended a really long layoff. That guy had some issues, too, health-wise. He had both, I think, hip and shoulder surgery. Uh, So nice to see him back. Uh, Good win for him. And kicking everything off, Casey O'Neill defeated Laura Procopio via technical submission. Rear naked choke, uh, 254 at the third. Rough first round for O'Neill. Seems a little bit of a slow starter. But she rallied, kept up. She keeps a high pace, man. And that leads to her dropping the first round a lot, but it it wears the other girl down more often than not, it seems. Uh, got things to the ground. Uh, very good grappler, uh, surprisingly so in some respects. She got Procopio's back. Procopio stood up, and but in standing up, O'Neal got the choke in. They kind of sagged back to the mat, choked her unconscious. O'Neal's a fairly viable prospect for uh, women's flyweight, so definitely pay attention to her. Uh, she, there's work that still needs to be done. Her lack of head movement just makes my soul hurt. But she's game, uh, which is a big part of it. She's pretty good everywhere, and she keeps a pace that will break a lot of people. So, uh, her second win in the UFC, good for her, continuing, uh, kind of continuing to build her career. Uh, that was it, actually. We only had 12 fights, a welcome change from the 14 fights we've had the last couple of events. Uh, your post-fight bonuses, such as they were, Marlon Vera and Davy Grant was fight of the night. Performances went to Sung Woo Choi and Matt Brown. Uh, which I agree with. I, I don't disagree with any of those, so... Better event in practice than on paper, I think. So, thanks to everyone who read my coverage, be that live or after the fact. I always appreciate whatever you can do to help that out. Including sharing it. 
if you again if you happen to do the Facebook or Twitter thing uh, we have share buttons there so please use them they it helps a lot all right um let's talk a little bit about the rest of the combat sports world from last night uh we had some a lot of stuff on Saturday say nothing of some of the other stuff in the week um other things from earlier in the week I'm only gonna say this the two judges that scored the Glacian Tebow and Roy McDonald fight for Tebow should be fired. That's that is a horrible, horrible scorecard, and absolute shame on them. That's indefensible. That is frankly an indefensible scorecard to give Tebow the first and third rounds of that fight. Just ugh, ridiculous. So I, Rory seems like he's going to appeal that or at least demand some, uh, try to get some kind of action from the PFL. And considering they overturned the, uh, it was the Verdum fight, that whose result they overturned, uh, I don't know that they will in this case, but uh, they should. I'm going to say that straight up. They should. It's a ridiculous scorecard. Uh, again, utterly indefensible. So, yeah, there's that. But PFL's got a, is putting together a pretty good, decent season all around. So, if you haven't checked them out and you might be inclined to do so, they're, give them a shot. They're worth it at the moment. I mean, there's still some issues, but... And you're dealing with... Any place not the UFC is going to have a few good fighters. PFL has a few very good fighters. Just not everyone's going to be the very best, huh? Because Ray Cooper III, the same event, had a good, uh, got a much-needed win to kind of advance his, him in their system. So, yeah, that was it for PFL. Uh, there was some stuff in the world of boxing again on Saturday. Um, one of the Charlo brothers, I can't remember which one. I mean, their names are Jermall and Jermel, and I just, I can't always remember which is which. Uh, that fight wound up being a little bit little bit like the movie Rocky. Um, a, a theoretically overmatched contender wildly overperforms, loses in the end. Uh, but, you know, uh, but the Charlo brothers are usually a, usually worth watching. Uh, that fight in particular was pretty good. Um, oh, yeah, this one. The Monster, Naoya Inoue. Guys... I know this is primarily an MMA podcast. I talk a little bit of boxing on occasion because I like it. Uh, and I would like to break down... most. A lot of the acrimonious barriers between boxing and MMA have kind of dissolved. You've been around as long as I have. You remember when there was serious, serious acrimony between those two fan bases. Uh, not so much anymore, thankfully. Uh, because all that did was benefit the promoters, not the fans or the fighters. Uh... If you're not watching in a way fight, do yourself a favor. Even if you're not much of a boxing fan, watch, find some in a way fights. Find his fight with Nonito Donaire from 2019. Uh, his fight with Maloney from last year. The, uh, for in a way fights at 118 pounds, which is bantamweight in the boxing world. And that man probably hits harder than I do. And I'm 6'1", 220, give or take. I haven't weighed myself in a while, but I float around that space. 220 plus or minus 3, 5 pounds. My weight fluctuates. Um, 
he probably hits harder than I do. He is a not just a power puncher, he's a very slick boxer, very precise. He is a joy to watch fight. And he put a beating on his opponent, dropped him three times en route to a third round stoppage. He dropped him once in the second with a body shot and then two more body shots, two more body shot droppages in the third to earn the stoppage. Um, we're probably going to get a third fight between uh, Inouye and Nonito Denaire. Hook that into my veins. Just, that is uh, that will be great. Uh, e- again, even if you're not much of a boxing guy, watch, please. Go out of your way. I promise you, Naoya Inouye is worth your time to watch fight. Take my word for it. And if you take my word for it and you feel differently at the end... Feel free to yell at me on Twitter. I'm ha- the, I will take that L because I know there is enough. There are people out there who will f- who will feel the other way, and I'm, I'll again I'll take the L on occasion. But I think most of you will enjoy his fights. He is he is a joy to watch box. Uh, I can't say it any better than that. Um, another couple of things from the boxing world. There was a boxing fight between former UFC middleweight champion Anderson Silva and professional boxing clown Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Now, I I say that somewhat disparagingly, but in credit to Jr., used to be a champion at 168 pounds, I think. He had an inhuman ability to cut weight and rehydrate, like freakishly so. Uh, he fought Anderson Silva in a boxing match. And the split. This is a split decision win for Anderson Silva. Whatever judge, I hope you cashed that check, buddy, to try and make Junior not look like as big a clown as he is. This should not have been split. Under no circumstances should this have, should this have been a split decision. Not even close. Like, this was nothing but, I don't know. I would love to say it was just base incompetence, but I almost feel this has to be somebody got paid off to make sure at least one scorecard went for Junior. Uh, just, just because, uh, what a, what a clown fiesta. An absolute clown fiesta, that scorecard. Just ridiculous. Um, yeah, Anderson Silva got a big reaction from the Mexican. This was this took place in uh, Guadalajara, and Anderson Silva got a very big positive reaction. All the press leading up to this after the fight, um, he he got a. I mean, look, and part of this is that Junior has done such a wonderful job of turning himself into a joke that he doesn't really have much of a fan base to speak of. Uh, I mean, for crying out loud, he missed weight for this fight. Um, Junior weighed 185. They were they were contracted at uh, lower than that. I forget exactly where. But he, I, I mean, he, paid, he had to pay Anderson Silva $100,000 for missing weight. Uh, his, I think part of his, like, public argument was Anderson Silva always fought in the UFC at 185. I just kind of thought that's what we were fighting at. Which is, look, I don't know, that, there's no way that's true. He signed a fight agreement at a specific weight. He just, 
I can't say anything. I can. I can't say anything negative about Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. that others haven't already said better. So if you're if you're curious about what a what a joke his career turned into, feel free to look it up. Um, it was nice to see Anderson get a big crowd reaction. Um, man, I I wish, I wish his exit from the UFC had not not just that he'd won. I mean, sure, I wish that he'd won. I I've mentioned this before. I know I watched UFC events and other MMA fights before this particular event that I'm about to cite. But as I sit here, my first real concrete memory watching mixed martial arts is Anderson Silva's UFC debut. I went back and devoured all kinds of other uh, MMA material after that. But contemporaneously, like, I watched, I, again, I know I watched other stuff before that. I know I watched uh, the Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner fight. I know I watched uh, some other UFC events that had been kind of on, either on the free TV side or stuff that had, like, uh, had found its way into the internet. Um, what was one of them? Like, I, wa- I think I watched the second, wasn't the second Chuck Tito, it uh, wasn't the second uh, Shamrock Tito fight, it was... Um, so I wasn't the first one. I don't know. Ah, I want to say it was one of those. Let's see. Like I'd seen a couple of Pride fights, not whole events. So again, I, I know I had watched stuff well before Anderson Silva's debut in the UFC. But you ask me right now, again, what's my first, like, I know those happened and I have vague memories. I can remember vividly Silva's UFC debut. I've, I have watched that man's almost in, his entire UFC career. And again, I went back and I watched all kinds of stuff from his pride days and, you know, just watching other stuff from MMA fight organizations around the world. Like, I want, sure, I wanted him to win his last UFC fight. But it really felt like that narrative was, A, a little bit forced by the UFC. They put together a few nice video packages for him. I'm not going to pretend that they didn't. But, and look, I've said before, I did not miss fans. The more I watched the events with fans back, as a general rule, I did not miss them at all. Uh, most fans, who, when, by the time they get to a, an MMA event, uh, they're... It, I don't know if it's a, if it's an alcohol consumption thing or a little bit of the old group psychology. that you know, it, I forget the exact ratio, but in any group of like a thousand people or more, the collective IQ drops about ten points. Uh, something like that. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how, uh, if that particular study has been held up or and I can't remember the exact ratios. But there is something like that. That people in lo- the larger the group, the worse the intelligence and the decision making collectively gets. And that's not just like an aggregate IQ. You can take intelligent people and if you put them in a situation where they are part of a group that is that large, their intelligence, to the extent that we measure it, goes down. It's it's a really weird kind of group psychology phenomenon. So I don't know if that's playing a part, or you know, a lot of MMA fans are just kind of degenerates anyway. I don't know. I'm not trying to insult any of you listening to this show. But you know, you've seen live crowds at an MMA event, a UFC or any other. They are, as a general rule, that's a weird group of people making very weird decisions. So... 
I'm, uh, again, I'm not I, as an MMA fan. I'm not sure I'd be any different if I went to a live event. There's a few things that MMA fans do that I know I wouldn't. I don't drink, so I wouldn't consume alcohol. I wouldn't woo. Just never, never at an MMA event would I woo. And you know, I unless someone else took a swing at me, I would never get into a fight in the stands. And those are kind of the defining characteristics of most MMA crowds. Drunkenness, obnoxious noises, violent crowd interactions. Uh, I, I mean, look, I've said this before. A great, a great crowd makes a great fight better in ways that cannot be replicated any other way. But man, on average, on average, oof. But uh, point being... I don't know if Anderson Silva's retirement fight in the UFC in front of a crowd would have felt different. I mean, I know it would have. There would have been a crowd. But other people noted this. The respect shown to Anderson Silva after that boxing fight and the way that all played out, that felt a lot more like what Anderson's last fight in the UFC should have felt like. Now, maybe that's because he won... Maybe it was the crowd presence. I don't know. I really don't. But whatever whatever uh, you know, variables are at play here, that felt a lot different. So, and you know, good for him getting uh, getting a win in his uh, it's not his pro boxing debut, but his first boxing bout in a long time. Uh, he seemed energized, and I don't know if that's a doping. I mean, I'm not going to acute. I'm not going to sit here and accuse the man of doping apropos of nothing. I'm just going to bring it up as a a variable. Or if he just felt, you know, more energized by finally doing something he really wanted to do. Either way, I mean, I, I certainly it certainly doesn't matter to me one way or the other. But he he looked energized. He looked more full of life. Uh, made a lot of I he made a lot of money for this fight. Again, not just the hundred k that uh, Junior ponied up. He made a lot of money for this fight. Um, I don't know that it was the single biggest payday of his entire career. Uh, he was making... What was it? Uh, we have the court documents for the vast majority of Anderson Silva's tenure in the UFC. So we know what Anderson was paid by the UFC. Um, and not just his purse money, but any bonuses he was given backstage, and any pay-per-view point bonuses that he was given. Uh, we, we have all that information. That is all known. We don't know whatever money he might have made from his own sponsors, but uh, he was making he was making pretty good money uh, for some of the UFC fights. I think number was what? One and a half to three and a half million, I think. Or three and a half might have been the lower end. I forget exactly, so forgive me. Uh, again, uh, Josh Nash has uh, has looked at some of this, so follow his work. He's done. He's the one who's gone through all the all the data points. Uh, so I would be a little surprised if this was a little surprised if this was the biggest payday of his career, because we'd be talking round about the five to seven million dollar range, I think. Which, look, if he got, if he did make that, what what am I going to do? Complain about Anderson Silva making money? I'm, I'm not going to be that guy at all. Uh, but it also just kind of feels like that, 
that might have been an overpay by the relevant promoters. I might be wrong about that, too, so I don't know. But the man got paid, so good on him, man. Seriously. Uh, that same event, there was an exhibition boxing bout between Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. and uh, Hector Camacho Jr., who had some... If you've not seen their boxing, their, their, when they were like more in their prime, their boxing bout, those wars, man, are the stuff of legend. I mean, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. is one of the very best boxers to ever do it. Um, I don't... I don't know that I could call him the best ever, but I'm not going to argue too much against people who do. If you don't know, that man start he did not suffer a loss as a professional boxer until his 91st professional fight. He started his career 89-0 and one with so one draw before he ever lost a fight and that was a split decision that uh maybe could have gone his way. Just put it that way. I It's been too long since I've seen it to remember how I scored it, but uh, that man is the legend of all legends in Mexican boxing in particular, but one of the just truly, truly all-time greats in boxing. And he put up a... That man put up a better fight than his son did. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, almost 60-year-old Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., in an exhibition bout, made a better accounting of himself and had a better fight than his you know, much younger son did against uh, Anderson Silva. Oh, oh man. Uh, see, was there anything else from the combat sports world? I think that was all the stuff I wanted to touch on. So, yeah, again, if you didn't, if, I mean, the, the fight between Inouye and, uh, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this gentleman's last name. He's from the Philippines. Uh, Dos Marinas, I want to say. Let me find out real fast. Yeah, Dos Marinas. Um, it's only, it's not even three rounds, so it's less than nine minutes. Um. Find that fight if you can. Uh, it's on ESPN Plus, so if you have that service, you can find it. Naoya in a way is again, he's just a joy. He's a joy to watch box. All right. Um, now that I've thoroughly annoyed all the MMA fans, <laughs> again, hopefully not. Uh, let's move on to this coming event: UFC on ESPN Plus 48. This is not going to be a long preview. This is. Uh, I said it last week, man. This is not a very good card on paper. Your main event, heavyweight fight between Cyril Gaon and Alexander Volkov. That's actually not a bad fight. Um, I'm I'm just going to... This is a pretty good fight. I actually kind of like Volkov here. Uh, Volkov on a two-fight winning streak. He stopped both Walt Harris and Alistair Overeem. Uh, his only losses in the UFC to Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. And lest you forget, he beat the crap out of Derek Lewis before Derek Lewis got a Hail Mary knockout. Uh, I had, I had, I believe I had Volkov up two 10-8 rounds. I mean, he put a beating on Lewis. But to Lewis's credit, he's a resilient guy. And he's not out of there until he's out of there. And that has benefits. Um, I mean, 
this is a big test for Gon. I mean, Gon beat Jarzinho Rosenstrike his last fight out. Volkov is... Uh, I hate to say much better, because that might be a bit of a disservice to Rosenstrike. He's much more experienced. He's much more well-rounded. And I don't think he'll be sucked into playing the same kind of game that Rosenstrike was. I think Volkov is very confident and very aware of his own abilities, and he will fight to those strengths. Volkov is, for a big guy, he's good about fighting long, and he's good in the pocket. He's surprisingly good in the pocket for a man his size. A lot of guys that big, you get inside of them, and you're a little bit safer. And <laughs> not with Volkov, you're not. Uh, so, this, I actually am looking forward to this fight. I'm going to lean towards Volkov, but I'm not going to be shocked if uh, Gon pulls this one out. Uh, we're going to go pretty quickly through the rest of these. Uh, because... Yeesh. Uh, let's see. Co-main event, Tanner Bozier and Ovin St. Prue. Another heavyweight fight. Oh, God, why? I'm going to pick Bozier. I just... I don't really pick Ovin St. Prue to win anymore. I mean, he still wins on occasion. Uh, and I won't be... I won't be terribly shocked if he wins, but I, I just can't pick the man. I mean, Bozier's on a tough couple of fights. Uh, I thought he beat Alir Latifi. I thought that was a very bad decision. Uh, but he's on a two-fight skid, lose, losses to Arlovsky and Latifi. Um, so I'm going to pick him, but yeah. Light heavyweight fight. We were supposed to get Ed Herman and Danilo Marquez. Herman was fell out. So instead, we have Kennedy and Zechiku and Danilo Marquez. And God, who could possibly care about this fight if you're not related to one of these guys? Um, and Zechiku's coming off of a knockout win. He's just not who the UFC wants him to be right now. And in fairness to the man, he's got less than 10 professional fights. So I'm, I'm not going to hold that against him too much. Um, Marquez... Two wins in the U... Yeah, I'm going to pick Marquez. Uh, I, I'm i just not going to pick Nzechiku against someone who I think is mostly competent. And I tend to find Marquez mostly competent. Featherweight fight between Andre Feely and Daniel, uh, Daniel Pineda. Am I going to pick Feely? I don't like picking Andre Feely. I always feel gross when I do. But he lost his last fight, and he tends to be the win-one-lose-one guy. So, he'll probably win this. Um, Pineda... Yeah. Pineda beat Herbert Burns, lost to Cub Swanson. He had a good fight with Swanson, though. Um, yeah, I'll pick Feely. Um, I feel gross, but... Feely's always good enough to just hang around, but never good enough to actually accomplish anything. Let's see, lightweight Hanato Moicano and Jai Herbert. Uh, Moicano, boy, he... Oh, yeah, he hit... Man, he... I know he protested the stoppage when he got stopped by Fiziev, but he got lit up that whole first round before that. Uh, Rafael Fiziev put a, put a number on that, did a number on that guy. Uh, let's see. Whereas Herbert. 
Uh, let's see. He's fought in the UFC. Yeah, he got stopped by Francisco Trinaldo. That ended a long winning streak for him, though. Hmm. So the question largely becomes, do, yeah, I'm going to pick Moicano. I'm going to pick Moicano there. Uh, so that's your main card right now. We have a couple of other fights. Worley Alves is supposed to fight on this card, but he does not have an opponent yet. He was supposed he was supposed to fight Ramazan Amiv. Uh, that fight fell apart, so they're looking for a replacement. We also have a flyweight fight that does not have a place yet between Tim Elliott and Sumu Darji. That might be decent fun. Tim Elliott's... He's usually good for at least a watchable fight. Uh, the rest of the prelims, a good bantamweight fight here, actually, between Hani Barcelos and Timur Valiev. I'm pretty high on Timur Valiev. Uh, you know, he had, he had a long winning streak coming into the UFC. Then he had the... Uh, he got stopped initially by Trevin Jones. That got overturned after Jones failed a marijuana test. Ugh. Ugh, that's stupid. That's, that's just stupid. Uh, he rebounded by beating Martin Day in fairly convincing fact. It was a decision, but it was a pretty wide one. Uh, and Barcelos is nobody's stepping stool. That man is 16-1 and as a pro. He's, what, 5-0 and in the UFC? The only knock on him is his activity. He only fought... Uh, he fought twice in the UFC in 18, only once, in, twice in 19, May, uh, w only once at the end of 2020. So he was almost a year between Saeed Nurmagomedov and Khalid Taha. And now he's been seven months since his last fight. But Barcelos is very good. This is a very good fight. This should be on the main card. Uh, straight up, this should be on the main card. I'm a little bit annoyed that it's not. Uh, I'm going to pick Valiev, but by the slightest of margins. I'm going to tell you why I'm picking Valiev. Because when all other things are more or less equal, as a bit of a personal gag, I'll pick the Russian to beat the Brazilian. If, if I can't find a solid technical reason to pick one or the other, that's kind of my default there. Now, uh... Again, I'm not going to be shocked if Barcelos wins. He's very, very good. Valiev is very, very good. This is going to be a very good fight. Uh, so I'm going to lean Valiev, but... Uh, just kind of... It kind of is uh, I get a, a bit of a long-standing personal gag, more than because I think Valiev is a shoe-in. Again, I, I think he... I will happily... I'm not saying he's only going to win because he's Russian. That would be stupid. But... Their skills match up the way they match up. Ooh, good fight. Really good fight. Welterweight fight. Um, Shavkat Rachmanov uh, against Michelle Prezeresh. Really good fight. Rachmanov had a really good debut. You may not remember this, but he's 13-0, and he choked out Alex Oliveira with a guillotine choke in his UFC debut. Um, Michelle Prezeresh is a a dump truck of a human being. I mean, his nickname is uh, is uh, Tractor. Uh, I believe it's the Brazilian for so Trator. Um, for good reason. You look at that man. 
But Prozeris is coming off of a loss that broke a long winning streak when he lost to uh, Ismail Narudiev. And Prozeris has... He's had 29 fights. I mean, he's 26-3. and three. It's a great record. But he's 39. That catches up to you. I, I'm going to pick Rachmanov. But that's actually... Both of these are... Be, both of those two fights are better than... Most of the main card, if not all of it. Those two fights should be your co-main and featured, rather than Bozier and St. Pruin and Zetsuku and Marquez. Like, by a, by a wide margin, those are much better fights. Let's see, Welterweight, Tim Means and Nicholas Dalby. Uh, it's not a bad fight. I'm going to lean Dalby. Dalby's a really good technician. And those kind of guys have given uh, Tim Means trouble in the past. So, uh, let's see, light heavyweight, Marcin Procnio and Ike Villanueva. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pick Ike Villanueva just because I hope he gets a post-fight interview. That man's... I don't know how many of you have watched the animated series King of the Hill. Uh, Ike Villanueva, when he talks, he sounds like Boomhauer. And he can fight. I don't mean... The man can fight. He gave tough fights to both Chase Sherman and Jordan Wright before he got stopped. He had a really nice win over Vinicius Morea. But his post-fight interview, just when he, after he beat Morea, just made me smile. And it's uh, Procneo is not exactly you know, some uh, phenom. He's 1-3 in the UFC. He's been stopped three times. His only win is over Khalil Roundtree, who's a little bit of a choke artist. I'm going to pick Villanueva, but eh, low-level heavyweight, light heavyweights. Women's bantamweight, Julia Avila and Julia Stoliarenko. This was supposed to happen a few weeks ago, but uh, Stoliarenko like, collapsed trying to make weight. Uh, she couldn't actually make weight. She couldn't stand still long enough. She got on the scale and couldn't actually stand up under her own power. So hopefully she fixed whatever went wrong there. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick Avila. Is really Avila the panda bear or something like that? Yeah, the raging panda. <laughs> uh, I'm okay picking her, but I won't be shocked if Stoliarenko gets that done. Say I might. Stoliarenko hasn't won in the UFC yet. Yeah, picking Avila. Now that I think about it. Uh, Charles Rosa and Justin Janes. Rosa's an odd guy to kind of figure out, man. He's got ability, but he makes some weird decisions. He is way too eager to play off of his back if you take him down. Like, he doesn't really try to get up. Um, let's see. Whereas Janes... Oh, that poor guy... I mean, he had a good win in his debut when he shocked Frank Camacho, but he's 0-3 since then. Uh, Losses lost to Gavin Tucker, Gabriel Benitez, and Devontae Smith. I mean, okay, Tucker and Benitez are both very good fighters. The Smith fight was a doctor stoppage. Was that a cut? Uh, it was a swollen eye, I seem to recall. And a deserved one, he couldn't open his eye. Hmm. I'm going to sentimentally pick Janes here, but that's a bit speculative. 
And at the moment, kicking everything off, Yancey Medeiros and Demir Hadzevich. Um, let's see, Hadzevich, been out for over a year. He got choked out by Hinato Moicano. Medeiros on a three-fight losing streak. This could be a decent little brawl, given how these two match up. I'm going to pick Hadzevich and probably feel very stupid. But at this point, I don't think I can pick Yancey Medeiros to win. So... That's where things stand right now. Uh, oh, Elliot and Sumudarji. I'll pick Elliot, but uh, not confidently. Right. So that's UFC on ESPN plus 48. I will cover that Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. So please do stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. All right, let's get into pl uh, plugs. Some other stuff for the week. Luis Pena member of the UFC roster, was arrested for robbery and battery this week. I don't know if he's still with the UFC after that or not. I don't know. I certainly don't know if he's guilty. But, oof. Not a good look. Not a good look. Um, yeah. Odd story, that. A little bit sad, but uh, we'll have to wait and kind of see how that plays out. Uh, let's see. Other, other news. Oh, here we go. Vitor Belfort is going to be engaged in a boxing bout against former multiple weight world champion Oscar De La Hoya. I I want to pick Belfort to win this, believe it or not, as I think about it. Belfort's been more active recently. Um, while this is a boxing bout, and De La Hoya is... You know, a much better boxer if we're just talking skill for skill. Oscar's... A lot of his career was predicated more on his ability to take a punch and to just kind of maybe force some of those exchanges, but on based on durability. I don't know where his fundamentals... That his fundamentals will be where they need to be to fight a man so much bigger than him than that as Vitor Belfort. I mean, De La Hoya, just for... Just, let me look up his stats, because I can. Oscar De La Hoya is 5'10 and a half. It's a little bit generous on that half inch. And he fought as high as middleweight in boxing. Middleweight is, what, 155, I think? Uh, 154 to 160, so yeah. So... We're talking about a guy who peaked at, again, the 150 to 160. And light middleweight, or light middle... Yeah, light middleweight was probably a little bit better for him. Uh, so we're talking about a guy, again, 150s, fighting a guy who fought as high as heavyweight and contested the bulk of his career, bouncing kind of between 185 and 205. He, so he's 5'10 with a 73-inch reach. What's Vitor? That's Vitor. Vitor is what? He's six feet tall. And has a 70... Yeah. Belfort is much larger. Uh, not the not the former UFC fighter I would have picked to make my return against if I'm Oscar De La Hoya. Unless he's planning on paying Belfort to take a dive. Which I would not put past either Oscar or Triller, where this fight will be contested. 
But such as it is, we'll pay a bit of attention. That's that's your circus news for the week, I guess. Uh, let's see. Last bit of more relevant news: Max Holloway injured and out of his fight with Yair Rodriguez. Those two were supposed to fight at an upcoming event on ESPN. Uh, that you're not gonna happen. Sucks. Uh, was a pretty good fight on paper and. Uh, a fight Max, I think, would have won. I hate to say handily, but I felt I felt very, very, very confident picking him to win that fight. Alright, uh, that's all I've got for news. No news yet on who will replace him against Yair Rodriguez, but we'll keep an eye out. Uh, that fight's not until, I think, August, so plenty of time to find a replacement. Let's have a quick look through Twitter and see if anything crazy has happened in the combat space world. If not, we will get into plugs and get out of here for the week. Nope, nothing crazy. So let's get into plugs. I didn't do a whole lot last week apart from the usual stuff. Uh, AW Dark Elevation in the Wrestling Zone of 411mania.com on Monday. MLW's Underground Re-Airings on Wednesday. And Friday Night Smackdown on Fridays. All of that in the Professional Wrestling Zone of 411mania if you're interested in my take on that. This week, uh, a fair amount of stuff, actually. Monday will be a review of the Pixar film uh, Luca, which is, current, which is currently streaming on Disney+. Plus. So you can find myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina giving our thoughts on that. There is currently a, a re-air of an old show I used to host called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. This uh, would be the re-airing of the Pixar Villains episode to coincide with the release of Luca. Uh, if you're so interested, you can find that over on... Uh, you can find my other podcasting endeavors over on the W2M network, uh, the Radulation Broadcasting Network subgroup of that. Or if you're on, you know, Apple Podcasts or whatnot, just follow the W2M network and you'll see my stuff. So you can look out, be on the lookout for Luca. Uh, let's see. Do I have anything else that I'm doing? Bunch of re-airs, but I don't think I have... Yeah, so I think I've just got the one movie review... Uh, man, once, once July starts, a lot more stuff. Uh, let's see, did I do anything else last week? Again, just a lot of re-airs, which you're welcome to listen to, but I don't know. Uh, it's a little bit less clear to me how much I should be pushing those. Uh, but last week there was the re-air of the Netflix series, Netflix anime series Voltron Season 1, which I stepped into on short notice, and then was there for every season thereafter. Uh, uh, a re-air of Damn You Hollywood for Inside Out. And I think that was it. Uh, no, the Long Road to Ruin for the Back to the Future trilogy, which I was also a part of. So you heard me a lot in re-air, but not a lot of live stuff last week. So again, be on the lookout for a review of Luca on Monday. And I, I think that's everything for me for the rest of the week. Yeah, and then just my usual slate of professional wrestling coverage, and then... Uh, the UFC event on Saturday, so please do give those a listen. I appreciate all the support that I can get, and I appreciate all the support that you all are willing to give. Until next time, that's going to do it for us. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.